Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. God, thank you for just showing us yourself, showing us your character, showing us your power, showing us your faithfulness, and and showing us your promises all throughout Scripture. God, as we gather around that this morning, um, help us to know you better. Um, God, as we talk about faith, meet us where we are, whether our faith is, is just barely, barely going, or whether it's shining bright. God, we ask that you would grow it and pull us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, um, Lucy and I started having an ant problem. Just like all of a sudden, on our counter, there are all these little ants. And so we, we thought, surely there must have been some sugar or something on there. And so we wiped it down real good. And lo and behold, they came back. Um, they, they came back with vengeance. Like they're, they're stronger than ever. They're back. And so we decided, okay, we need a deep cleaning. So we brought out the bleach, Cloroxed the whole counter, thinking surely that would kill anything that might have been sweet tasting, make it taste horrible, where they just won't want to come back. But lo and behold, it didn't work. The ants were, were still present. And so then we got some ant spray. And we sprayed the ant spray by the point of entry, thinking, you know, if they cross that, they're supposed to pick up the poison and shrivel and die. And that didn't work. It, they eat. So eventually, we decided we'd get ant traps. And the ant trap has a little bit of bait. They eat it or they, they carry it back to the queen. And then they poison everybody and they all die. And it didn't work either. Like these ants were strong. I don't know if they just ate a little bit of poison, just enough to get sick, but then to come back and become immune or what. So we decided that we're just gonna have to live with these things. They're gonna be our new pets. We'll tell the kids that we have an ant farm. And, and, so, and so as these ants continue to hang out around our kitchen, our inconsistent pest control person showed up and, um, and, they're, and he's looking at our, our stuff and he goes, he goes well, you know, the, the poison you have is 2%. What we use is, um, because we're kind of tired of Sarah and Fred and their gang. Like, we like to see them die. And so he goes and gets his 7% stuff and puts it on the the window and they eat it. And and I don't know what happened, if they moved or what, but they're not here anymore. They're gone. So our ant problem is done. And I wonder if, you know, you you throw solutions at a problem, right? You throw it and you throw it and nothing seems to be working. I sometimes wonder if that's how we feel about faith. You know, it's like, I have faith that there's going to be healing. I have faith that this relationship's going to work out. I have faith that I'm going to get the job. I have faith. And, and you throw faith at something and you get to a point where you just decide, I guess this is just something I have to live with. Right? I, I guess like, I guess that I, I'm just going to live with this thing because faith just isn't working. But then you see it work for someone else. And you're like, it worked. Like, is their faith 7% while mine's 2%? Right? Like, why did, why did that work out for them? Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we are saved by grace through faith. But if faith seems to be so inconsistent this side of eternity, right, then what gives us any assurance that it will work on that side of eternity? I mean, I wonder if the inconsistency of our faith working, if if that hasn't affected how people feel about the security of their salvation, Maybe that's why people will say things like, I think I'll get in, or I'm pretty sure God will, will, will give me the nod versus saying, I know. All right, so today we're gonna unpack faith. We're gonna talk about what it is, 
We're going to see whether or not it's something that's guaranteed, and we're going to talk about how to grow in it. All right, so, so let's just start with what faith is not. All right, so what faith is not. Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Um, verses 13, 14, and 15, we're going to see that faith is not defined by what we do. Faith is not defined by what we do. All right, he says, For the promise of Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. All right, so when he talks about the offspring of Abraham, if you were to read back in last week's text, what you would see is that Paul says, those who are descendants of Abraham, Father Abraham for the nation of Israel, are not ethnically defined, but they are defined by faith. So anyone who has faith that Jesus saves would be considered a descendant of Abraham. Anyone who does not have faith in Christ would not be considered a descendant of Abraham. So when he says offspring, he's saying anyone who has faith in Jesus. And he says that they would be heir of the world, right? So, so if you were to study the history of Israel, God promised Abraham some land, not the world, land. Eventually Israel entered that promised land. Um, that was their nation where they kind of got their, their, their grounding. But eventually you have these nations like Assyria and Babylon, eventually Rome, where they're just not being the ones in the position of rulership. Right? And so when, while Rome is ruling Israel, they might think that God will give this back to us, where we will be our own nation, we'll be the ones in charge. And Paul says, no, 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 that's way too small. The offspring of Abraham, or those who have faith in Christ, will one day inherit or be heirs to the world. And the world, he's talking about the world to come, what a lot of us would consider heaven. So he's saying like, hey, how do you get into heaven? How do you inherit or be an heir to that, that new heaven and new earth that's going to come? And he would say, it's through faith, All right? So it's through faith, All right? So how do we get to heaven? Through faith. It's not about what we do in following God's law, but by having faith in what Jesus has done and that he perfectly fulfilled it on our behalf. Look at verse 14. He says, For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. In other words, the adherents of the law are those who are, are Jewish. So if it's the Jews who are to be the heirs, only those who are ethnically descended from Abraham, he goes, then the promise would be void. All right? For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. He says, look, the reason why God gave the law to the, the nation of Israel wasn't to show them how to get into heaven. It was to show them that they needed a savior, right? So he unpacks this a ton in Galatians chapter three, if you wanna read more about it. But he's like, look, the law wasn't given to be a means of salvation. The law was given so that we would say, I need someone else to do this. I need a savior, right? And so verse 16, he says, that is why it, like think about it being like the whole getting into heaven thing. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law or not only to the Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. All right, and so when he says it here, like I said, he's talking about Jewish people. And what he's showing us here is that God didn't have two plans. He didn't have plan one, which was Jewish people following the Old Testament law, and then plan two with non-Jewish people trusting in Jesus. He goes, because if there are two plans, 
when we get to our inheritance, when we get to heaven, when we get to this new heaven and new earth, he said there would be division. There'd be half the group that are like, well, we were saved because we were really obedient. And there'd be the other half that goes like, well, we were saved because we stunk at it. And like, he's, like, he's like, and then you'd have these two groups of people. He goes, the, 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 the heart of God isn't to cause divisions, but to cause unity. So he's showing us that those in the Old Testament and those in the New Testament were saved, not by two different plans, but by the same plan. And that was a plan of being saved by grace through faith. All right, so what we see in these first few verses is that faith isn't defined by what we do. Instead, it's believing God's promise, and this leads to receiving his blessing. So faith isn't what we do, it's a response to what Jesus has done. All right, so faith is not an action, it's a response. All right, so the first thing is, is faith is not defined by what we do. The next thing we see is that faith is not at odds with reason. In verses 17 through 19, we see another thing that faith is not. Faith is not at odds with reason. Look at verse 17. He says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. He says, look, Abraham had faith in a big God. He had faith in a God that could raise the dead to life. He had faith in a God that could call into existence things that were not. So he's saying like, look, Abraham had a big faith. Why did Abraham have a big faith, right? because he had big problems, right? I don't know if you've ever seen the Hunger Games um, movies or maybe read the books, but like in the Hunger Games, you have these different districts and like they're, a bunch of them are poor and broke and then you have the really wealthy people. And so in a jacked up world, what happens is like the wealthy people find entertainment from all of these representatives from different districts showing up to the games and fighting to the death, all right? And so it's like, 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 it's like, but what you hear is, may the odds ever be in your favor, right? So you have a wealthy person who has it all together, has every advantage in the world, looking at those who are about to die and saying, may the odds ever be in your favor. And everyone in the game would be like, it's literally stacked against me. Like everything is aimed at me dying. Like this is not, there are no odds in my favor. This is bad news, right? And so what he's saying is like, look, when Abraham looked at his life, Right? When he looked at his surrounding circumstances, there were no things that were in his favor. The odds were stacked against him. He had big problems, which means he had to have big faith. He had to have faith in a God who could raise dead to life and to call into existence things that didn't exist. All right, so is that type of faith at odds with reason? No, look at verses 18 through 19. All right, he says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So in verse 18, you, you have God's promise. He's like, I still believe what God said. Verse 19, he said, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Notice he, he considered, he's thinking, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered, he's thinking, the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So he has a promise from God. You're gonna be like the father of a great nation. You're gonna have all of these descendants and all these offsprings. Like that's God's promise. That's God's word. And Abraham, knowing that him and Sarah like are just not able to have kids, doesn't look at this promise and go like, okay, I'm just gonna ignore the obvious. 
He doesn't bury his head in the sand. He doesn't ignore the facts. He doesn't create some fantasy world where he just lives in la-la land. No, like he squarely faces the reality that him and his wife are too old to be productive with kids. He, he acknowledges that, right? So he's not ignoring these things. He's putting his mind to them, all right? And so, like, so what we see here is that verse 17, He's like, okay, here's, the, here's where reason comes in. Verse 17, if God can raise the dead to life and if God can call into existence things that did not exist, then it is reasonable that a God of that power could have the power to bring life into my wife's womb, right? So his faith in God's promise was backed by reason in God's power, Right? So it's like this, this isn't an absence of intellect, it's an engagement of it where he's thinking things through. All right? And so, so think about this. Let's say that um, you ask me for $5. You're just like, Jeff, could I borrow $5? And I give you $5. And then you're like, I'll pay you back. I'm like, sure you will. I'm gonna give this expecting not to get paid back. And, you, and then lo and behold, you give me $5 back the next week. Let's say that this just continues for a couple of months. I'm like, what are you spending $5 on? Just get five bucks, all right? But either way, like you consistently borrowed and repaid. And then one day you say, Jeff, can I have $20? And I give you $20 and I have faith that you will pay me back. That is reasonable, right? Based off of your character and your track record, right? It's always reasonable to trust someone who is trustworthy. And there is no one more trustworthy than God. Okay, so Abraham's faith was backed by reason. See, you see what he did is, is he intellectually like thought through, here are the problems I face. And then he weighed that against God's word or his promise in God's power. He's like, okay, is God able to? Yes, he has the power. Um, is God, um, is he reliable? Like does, not, does he have the ability, but does he have the reliability? He's like, yes, God is faithful. He's like, okay, so when I weigh my problems, Against what I know to be true of God, he goes, all of a sudden the, the scales tilt and my faith is now one that's backed by reason. So what we see here is that faith is not at odds with reason. What we see though is that faith is bigger than our feelings and it's bigger than our circumstances, okay? So, so what we see is that faith is not defined by what we do and faith is not at odds with reason, right? Faith is not at odds with reason, all right, now let's talk about what faith is. I'm gonna give you two things, all right? The first is that faith is being fully assured of God's promise. That's verses 20 through 21, all right? Faith is being fully assured of God's promise. Pick it up in verse 20. He says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So if you were to define Abraham's faith, it would be this. He was fully convinced God would do what he said he would do. Right? It's this full assurance that God is faithful to his promise. If God said it, I know he's gonna do it. Not only is God able to do it, but he is willing to do it. And he will do it, all right? And so what we see is that faith, all right, faith is believing God will do what he said he will do, right? But notice that it says that his faith didn't waver, right? It's like he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't waver. No unbelief made him waver. Do you ever feel like that's your faith? Like, like how's your faith doing today? 
As, as we set up kind of the morning with that ant illustration, are you like, yeah, there's a lot of things I'm throwing faith at, and I'm starting to wonder if it's just not working, right? Like, when's the last time that you wrestled with your faith? Maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a couple of years ago, maybe it's like this season, you're like, I'm wrestling today, all right? Like, when's the last time you had doubts creep in? You're like, I don't know if this is real or not. I think about this summer. Um, this summer, there were a, a handful of like, Christian celebrities who walked away from their faith. Right? They, they called these deconversion stories, right? like deconversion, where people are walking away from their faith. One of these came out while we were celebrating my wife Lucy's birthday at Disney World. And it's like, it sucked the magic out of the kingdom. Like, like I'm sitting there in line for Thunder Mountain and I should be thinking this is about to be awesome. Instead, I found myself in line just contemplating life. It's like, could I walk away from my faith? Like, is God real? Like, what if I did, like, it would, what, how many people would I jack up if I just left and put an Instagram post up? Like, I felt like all of a sudden I'm sitting there in this like moment of just thinking like, how do you walk away from this? Is this real? And then God in, the, in line was like, <laughs> like, like, and I was like, no, like there's so much evidence in my heart, in my life and change I've experienced and freedom that I've given and evidence in creation. I'm like, no, like there's no way that God's not real. Like I know, like I know my faith is certain. Like, and all of a sudden God builds it back up. What happens is those, those questions and those doubts don't need to be pushed to the side and ignored. They need to be wrestled with. Because as you wrestle with them, you find that your faith becomes stronger on the backside, right? And so when you look at Abraham's life, like if you were to read Genesis 12 through 22, you would see that his faith was a roller coaster. His faith was all over the place, right? But it says that his faith didn't waver. That means that unwavering faith is not a faith where all of your questions are neatly boxed and wrapped with a ribbon on them. That's not what unwavering, unwavering faith doesn't mean you have all of your questions answered. Unwavering faith doesn't mean that you don't slip up. Unwavering faith doesn't mean that you don't still have some doubts creep in, right? What unwavering faith is, right? It's, it's this, despite your feelings and circumstances, finding yourself saying, okay, God, I know that your reality is truer than mine, right? Your reality is true. It's that you find yourself, even in the midst of those things, where you say, I'm going to keep going, right? And so what we see with Abraham is that what made his faith strong wasn't a lack of doubts. It wasn't his perfect obedience because he wasn't perfect. It was his hanging on to God's promise despite his own flaws and failures, all right? So faith is being assured fully assured of God's promise that, believe, that you believe God will do what he says he will do. And the next, as we kind of build out this faith, we see that faith is believing in Jesus. Verses 22 through 25. Faith is believing in Jesus. It says this, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We see here that to be saved by faith, your faith has to be in the right thing. To be saved by faith, you have to have faith 
in the right thing, namely to believe that Jesus lived the perfect life you couldn't live, that he died the death you deserved, and that he rose victoriously from the grave. And then you trust that his perfect life now counts for yours. It's to believe that Jesus accomplished what he set out to accomplish. Sometimes the question you might get is like, okay, you said that like this whole grace-based gospel was from Genesis to Revelation and that like people in the Old Testament were saved the same way that people in the New Testament were saved. It's like, if it's faith in Jesus, like if faith in Jesus is what saves people, then how did people before Jesus get saved by faith in Jesus? It's like, like Abraham didn't know Jesus's name. Like, so how in the world did he get saved by faith in Jesus? And well, here's what we need to realize. It's the, the direction that the Old Testament people looked and the direction that we look are two different directions, but the object is the same, all right? And so in the Old Testament, they looked forward to salvation that would come. In the New Testament, we look back to salvation that has came. In the Old Testament, they, they looked forward to a savior or to salvation that would come. In the New Testament, we look back to who has came. We have the benefit of knowing his name and that it's Jesus, but the people in the Old Testament had the same faith in the one who would step in and fix what we broke, right? And so it's at the end of the day, like it's the, it's the same object, different directions, but the object of faith in the Old Testament is the same object, object of faith in the New Testament. So here, here's like, how's your faith doing today? Like, right? Maybe you're like, I'm barely hanging on. Let me tell you this. A little bit of faith, a little bit of faith in the right object is better than a lot of faith in the wrong object. Like, let's say that I, I get some kites and I stand up on top of the King building and I'm like, I believe I can fly. Like, I have faith that these kites and my shoulders, like if I flap it, I'm good. And so I jump, like just when I start flapping, right? Chances are I'm gonna hurt myself or die. Like nothing's going right in that situation. But I had a lot of faith in those kites. Let's say that, that I'm terrified of flying. I'm not, I like flying, all right? Um, so let's say I'm terrified of it and I step onto a plane just shaking. I'm like, this is it, like this is it. And I'm just freaking out. And I have a little, that plane takes off we go into the air and then we find our destination, right? Barely any faith, enough faith to step onto that plane, but just barely any faith in the right object got me to where I was going, where a lot of faith in the wrong object led to my destruction. So what we see is that a little bit of faith in the right object is what saves us. So no matter where your faith is, if it's like almost out or whether it's brighter than it's ever been, if it's in the right object, it's enough to save you, all right? So, so real quick, let's just kind of zoom out from this text, right? Because I, I get like some people, like I don't go into enough detail on every verse and some people I go into way too much detail. So let's just say, let, let's just all meet in the middle. Let's say we zoom out from this text. I want us to see three things. What is faith? Is it guaranteed? And how can we grow in it? Okay, so, so what is faith? Um, the simplest way to define faith is belief plus trust, Right? Like the, the kind of the age old illustration is sitting down in a chair. Like here's a piano bench. Like I can say, I believe this bench will hold me up, but until I sit down, I haven't expressed faith in it. 
So my faith is that I put my weight in it, right? Like, so, so faith is, it's believing and trusting. It's different than just, because even demons believe in Jesus, right? Like it's belief plus trust. So it's believing that God will do what he said he will do. And it's trusting him enough to do what he says. It's believing that God will do what he said to do and trusting him enough to orient your life around what he has said. All right, so, so is it guaranteed, right? Like if faith this side of eternity seems so inconsistent, then what's our assurance that it'll work in eternity? Like, is it just a hit or miss, like a 25% shot? Like, is it guaranteed? Here's something that's been really helpful for me to wrestle through this week. And I, I, hope, it's, I hope it's helpful for you. Um, we need to de- determine, not determine, we need to distinguish between two types of faith. Um, one we'll call certain faith, and the other we will call big faith. Okay, two, two different types of faith. Certain faith is assurance in something God has spoken into, right? Certain faith, it's assurance in something God has said. It's assurance in one of God's promises. So if God has spoken into it, we have certain faith, right? Now, certain faith, an example of that, Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, God's like, need you to leave this land. I'll give you a new land. I'll give you a great nation, a great name. And, and I'm gonna give you an inheritance. Or I'm gonna bless you, right? Like God has spoke. There's words to that. Something God has said, something God has promised. So when Abraham, when Abraham leaves, he's showing faith, certain faith, because it's rooted in what God has said, right? That's certain faith. It's assurance because God has spoken into it. Now, big faith, right? So certain faith, big faith. Big faith is hoping for a favorable outcome because God is good, right? It's hoping in a favorable outcome because you know God is good, but balancing it with a trust in God's wisdom, right? This is for things God hasn't spoken to. When God hasn't spoken into something, we have big faith. We hope that things will work out for the best. We hope that it'll be favorable, but we have to balance that with trusting God's wisdom in the way that he chooses to govern the world. All right, so, so an example of that is, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In, in the book of Daniel, Daniel's got these three friends. His friends are getting ready to be thrown into a fiery furnace, Right? As they're sitting there, they say, we believe God can deliver us. We believe God will. But even if he doesn't, we believe he's good. Like, why did they give the, like, like the escape clause? But even if he doesn't, if God's will, right? Are, do they, is it because they have small faith? No, it's because they're responding to a situation that God hasn't spoken to. God never told them or promised them deliverance. So they hoped for a favorable outcome. They believed that it would come to fruition because they know God's good, but they balanced it with trusting God's wisdom to know that even if it didn't, that God was working something greater, right? So that's big faith, okay? So I think about the way this works is is, um, two weeks ago, two Wednesdays ago, uh, my uncle, he's, he's on his deathbed. He's dying. I drive up to Kentucky to see him and their family's in this, the ICU and, and I, I kneel beside the bed. I pull the, the blanket just enough to see his hand and I grab his hand and I'm praying and I'm pleading with God to bring healing. And I have big faith. 
Like, I believe that God can heal my uncle. I believe that God will heal my uncle. I believe that my cousin will get to hear his dad's voice again. I believe my grandma, who is dependent on my uncle for so many things, will continue to have him show up at her door. And I plead with God with full confidence that he is going to bring healing, whether it's supernaturally or whether it's through medicine or like, I believe it. And then this last Wednesday, they pull him off of life support and he breathes his last. Like, and you know what happened? Because that's big faith, not certain faith, my faith isn't rattled. You see, when we take certain faith, right? Or when we take certain faith, assurance, in something God has spoken to, and we apply it to big faith situations, things that God hasn't spoken to, we set ourselves up to have our faith weakened. We have to be careful not to put the assurance in things that God hasn't directly spoken to, right? Like if you do, you're setting yourself up to have a weakened faith. Does that that make sense? All right, so, so here's what I want us to hear today. Like I want Redeemer to have big faith. I want us to have a huge faith because God is good and God is powerful and God can and we believe that he will, but I never want those things to weaken our faith if they don't come out because we wanna have just as big of a trust in God as we do as a hope in his goodness, right? Like we wanna have just as much trust as we do hope. They have to be balanced. But I also want us to grow in certain faith. To, to look to things that God has spoken into and saying like, I'm putting my confidence here, right? So some things that God has spoken to, you know what God said? He said that he will build his church. Matthew 16, like I will build this thing. The gates of hell won't stand against it. So when the world, like when sociologists come in and studies come in and, 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 and groups that do like all these surveys show up, they say Christianity will die off within three generations in America, Like um, one million college students are walking away from their faith every year. Like the church is dying and it will die off. I look to that and I don't ignore the truth. I don't push aside the facts and say that's not true. No, I look at it and I weigh it against God's promise and God's power. And I say, no, no, no. I believe God will continue to build his church, that it will continue to grow strong, that this thing will stand the test of time because God spoke into it. I have certain faith that the church isn't dying because that's something God has spoken into. You know what else God has said? In, In John 10, verse 28, Jesus, talking about his followers, says, I give them eternal life. And he goes, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. All right, so salvation. Is that certain faith or big faith? Am I hoping that I'm saved when all is said and done or do I know I'm saved when all things are said and done? Here's what we realize. The question, like, can a Christian lose their salvation is the wrong question. The question is, can God lose a Christian? And the answer is no. God cannot lose a Christian, which means that your salvation is certain faith, which means it is something that's guaranteed. So saving faith is certain faith and it's a guarantee that God will see to completion. I like, I have big faith that I will step into heaven and be fully accepted. I have assurance of that, not because of anything I could ever do, but because of what Jesus did on my behalf. And that's good news. So, so how do we grow? So faith, faith is belief plus trust. Is it guaranteed saving faith? Absolutely. 
So how do we grow? How do we grow in, in both big faith and certain faith? I don't want anybody to walk away from here and be like, I'm never gonna believe in anything God hasn't spoken to. Like, like that's hearing me wrong, right? I want us to have big faith and I want us to continue to grow. Like I want us to have certain faith and I want that to continue to grow. So how do we do that? Remember, right, faith is not at odds with reason. That means that we are called to be intellectually engaged, right? So you don't grow in faith by just falling backwards more. It's like, I'm just gonna take a leap of faith. Like that doesn't, that is like, maybe it works, that's an accident, right? The, the way to grow in your faith is by engaging your intellect, right? To realize, okay, God has revealed himself to us through his word, right? God has said like, hey, I want you to know my character. I want you to know my power. I want you to know my promises. I want you to know my faithfulness. And so as we look to the word and we, we read it, we study it, we meditate on it, we memorize it, what happens is we begin to grow in our understanding of how good God is. We begin to grow in our understanding of how powerful he is. We begin to see more and more promises of things that he has spoken into, and we see his faithfulness over and over and over again. And as we grow in our understanding of who God is and what he can do, our faith will begin to grow. And as our faith grows, it begins to shape our life. We want to grow in our faith so that we can trust God with all of our lives because that's what it takes to change. You see, we change not by willpower. We change in the same way we're saved. So if we're saved by faith, we're changed by faith. So let's grow in our faith so we can change to be more like Jesus. The greatest way that I know how to grow in my faith is the cross. The greatest way I know is the cross. Think about this. At the cross, we see that God is good because where there was no way, God made a way. At the cross, we see that God is powerful because Jesus robbed the grave. And at the cross, we see that God can be trusted in his wisdom because where nothing made sense, where all was confusing and evil, God worked it for a greater good to the ultimate good of our salvation. You see, the cross reminds us that God is good, that he is powerful, and that we can trust him no matter the outcome. So let's look to the cross this morning and let's be a people who grow in their faith. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for Abraham's example. I confess that my faith is so often in the wrong object. I wanna hedge my bets towards my abilities more than I ever want to admit. God, I, I, I believe that that's a lot of us in this room. We, we hope for and look to the wrong things. So God, help us to look to you this morning. And God, take our faith wherever it is and grow it. God, where we need big faith for things you haven't spoken into, for healings, for addictions, for relationships, for jobs, for kids, God, for, for anything, God, I ask that you would give us bigger faith because you're good. And God, where we struggle to believe certain faith, where we struggle to believe that 
that you haven't left us or that you're going to see to completion what you started or that we're secure in your hands. God, help us to grow in our certain faith. And God, in both of those things, help us to trust you, to know that you are the most trustworthy person ever. God, your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.